Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. It's good to see all of you. Thanks for joining us here tonight for our Christmas Eve services. You know, I don't think we could begin to comprehend all that was unfolding in Mary and Joseph's life around the birth of their first son. We have this story in the Bible. I think it's there for a reason, not to just be some cute story for Christmas. I think it's there to cause us to think deeply about life. I think there's value in reading this story time and time again. You've probably heard it hundreds of times, but do you understand what the story's really all about? Luke's account reads like this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is the first census that took place while Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line or lineage of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it, they were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary, she treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. I love that. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. I bet she did. Because there was quite a bit to ponder. You know, my, my heart has always gone out to Mary and Joseph. I don't know why exactly, but I just, I have a place in my heart for them. It, it, they were such a young couple and they had such a rough start. I mean, the story of their life is really quite dramatic. 
Um, their engagement, their engagement was complicated by feelings of betrayal and heartbreak when Mary was found to be pregnant. And Joseph knew that he was not the father. And even though they both knew about sort of the unusual nature of Mary's pregnancy, it's hard to explain that to your family, your parents, your grandparents, your friends and family. I mean, such a bizarre explanation. Who, who was going to believe them? It was hard enough for Mary and Joseph to believe it, let alone the very strict Jewish community that they lived in. Then a few days before Mary was to deliver her child, they had to travel from home to a distant city in order to participate in a census that had been um, enforced by the Caesar. And while they were there for the census, they had to pay a tax. And we can just imagine as a young child ready to have their first baby, they, I mean, I'm sorry, a young couple having their first baby that there wasn't a lot of extra money. They didn't want to be paying a tax with it. They no sooner arrive in this strange town in order to be a part of the census and they can't find any lodging. The best they can do is a, a stable intended for animals and they bed down there and Mary lays her fragile child, her first baby in a feeding trough for animals. Imagine there was a few germs in that, wouldn't you? To make matters worse, both Mary and Joseph give record to the fact that they had both been visited by celestial beings, by angels. Those angels had let them know something about the son they were about to deliver. It said that their son would be the Messiah of Israel. The angels announced that their son would be the savior of the world. The angels informed them that their son would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That was a lot to think about. It was a lot to ponder. I mean, what, what, did, what did Mary and Joseph know about royalty? They were, they were far from that circle of life. Joseph was a, was a common blue-collar professional. He was a carpenter, a craftsman by trade. Mary, by her own admission, says that she was simply a humble servant girl. I mean, what do they know about raising a king? I mean, is there a magnet school that you send your son to in order to learn how to be a messiah? Is there some sort of a select league that your kid can sign up for in order to learn the ways of being a savior? I mean, what books does he read? What classes does he take? What, what skills does he need to learn in order to become the king of kings? I mean, what, what did they know about raising this child in keeping with what was prophesied about him? No sooner is the child delivered and they're kind of hoping perhaps for just a few moments of quiet and peace, a little bit of privacy while they try to make sense of all that's unfolded over the last several days and weeks and months. And then pretty soon, complete strangers are showing up at their place, asking them questions about the baby that they had just birthed. Questions that I, I doubt that they had answers for. They were just as confused as everybody else. There was a lot to ponder. There was a lot to think about. It seemed like everything that they had learned about Jesus came with some enormous implications. Some of it seemed completely impossible. A lot of it didn't even make sense to them. So there was plenty for Mary and Joseph to ponder. But it seems like everybody in the story 
spent a lot of time trying to make sense of this, that Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the magi who would come later, who is this baby? So I've decided that the account of Jesus's birth is either one, the most unbelievable story of all time, or two, the most unbelievable story of all time. Do you see the difference? It's a story that's so unbelievable. It's, it's just amazing. Like this is incredible or it's so unbelievable. This is so impossible. I won't waste my time entertaining it. That's a lot to think about. And, and so here we are. Here we are 20 centuries later. We're left to ponder. You see, back in the first century, there was a gentleman, he was a doctor. His name was Luke. And Luke interviewed some people. And he talked to some people who had been there, who had heard it, who experienced it. And he collected some thoughts and he made some records and he, and he wrote a record of what he learned. And he's given us an account of what he understood to be the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. And here we are. 2,000 years later, we're left to ponder, what do we make of what Luke has written? I mean, there were some pretty profound things said about Jesus. Mary, when she finds out that she's pregnant, it doesn't make any sense to her. We read this in Luke chapter 1. Mary was greatly troubled at the words that the angel had spoken to her and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never come to an end. It's a lot to ponder. Joseph when he had learned of Mary's pregnancy and he thought, well, I, 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 I'm not the father. And he considered sending her away, canceling the engagement. But again, an angel said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. That's a lot to think about. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said, do not be afraid. I, I bring you good news that will be cause for great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord King. A bit later in the account, the Magi, they, they arrive in Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 2 and they ask, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. That's a lot to think about. So of all the announcements about Jesus, we, we learned these three things. He was announced to be the Messiah, the one anointed by God to come to deliver the nation of Israel. He was announced to be the savior of the world. 
that he would save people from their sin. And he was announced to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He would have a kingdom and he would be the one who would reign over it. That's, that's a lot to ponder. So, so let me ask you some questions. For you personally, what's the hardest part of that story to believe? What's the hardest part of that story that just say, I, I just don't know where I land on that. What's the hardest part? Maybe for those of you who are Christians, what's, what's the part where you feel the most awkward trying to explain it to somebody who doesn't believe it? Is it the angels? You're like, yeah, I, I don't really have room for angels in my paradigm. I, I don't really think that really happened. And maybe for a lot of you, it's the virgin birth. You're like, come on, I, I know how those things work. I'm not really sure I believe that. Or maybe for you, it's the characters, uh, Joseph and Mary. They were nobodies. The shepherds, we don't even have their names, and yet we're supposed to somehow believe their account as being factual and reliable. Maybe for some of you, it's bigger than that. For you, it's the Bible. The story's rooted in the Bible, and you don't buy the Bible. You don't believe that it is revelation from God. That's, that's the hard part of the story for you. Or maybe... Maybe the hard part of the story is for you is like, how does a baby that was born in some no-name city, how, how does he become the Messiah of Israel, the savior of the world, the, the king of all kings? I, I don't really know that I believe that. And maybe for some of you, it's all of the above. The whole story just seems impossible to you. Well, what are our options? I mean, when we read the account, there's like three options. Maybe there's four, five, and six, but there's really like three of the most obvious options. The first option is this, that all Luke 2 and Matthew 1, all it is is some heartwarming holiday story of a historical icon. People generally believe that Jesus existed, that he was a real person, and he became rather famous in the, you know, the arc of history. And this is just the story about his birth and maybe because of religious legend or myth, some of the impossible things were kind of created to enhance the story. But all it is, is a story about a person's birth. The second option is that it's an account of a future religious leader's birth. But it's not any different than the birth of perhaps Muhammad or Buddha or Joseph Smith. It's just the birth account of a future religious leader. The third option, the third option is that it is in fact the arrival of God come to earth as Messiah, as savior and as king, just like the scriptures describe for us. And so here we are, 2000 years later after the birth of Jesus and we have to decide what exactly do we believe about any of this? Because there's serious implications to what we decide. That's why I think there's value in stopping at least once a year and giving it some thought. So what do we make of what prophets foretold and what angels announce and what parents experience? What do we make of what shepherds heard and what magi found? 
Well, let me give you some things to think about. The first one is this. Every person on the planet lives by faith. Every person on the planet lives by faith. You see, faith, before it got all the religion, faith was just a vocabulary word. And what it meant was trust. So the real meaning of faith is simply this. Faith is the beliefs that you choose to trust. Do you understand that? Faith is really just the collection of beliefs that you have accumulated and you put your trust in them. And you say, no, 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 not me. I don't do the faith thing. No, what you're saying is a statement of faith. What you're saying is, I just don't do the religious faith thing. I think of my faith perhaps more as intellectual or rational. What you're saying is, I simply, I don't do a Christian faith. Or I don't do an evangelical faith, or I don't do a Protestant faith, but you have a faith because you have a set of beliefs that you trust. You perceive my faith as religious, and you don't have room for that. Yours is more scientific, or more philosophical, or more mathematical, or more factual. That's the nature of what you have come to believe and to trust. But I've been at this for a while and I've had a lot of discussions with people about their faith. And I find that there's a lot of common statements of faith that people trust in. Maybe for you, the way you would say it is, um, I don't believe in life after death. See, that's a statement of faith. I don't believe that there's life after death. I die, I'm buried, lights out, game over. Somebody else says, well, I I don't know if there's really a heaven, but if there is, I think I'll go there because I'm generally a good person. I've done some things that are bad, but more often than not, I do good things. I'm an upstanding kind of person and I'll go to heaven because I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm a good person. That's your faith. Other people, they believe that Well, a loving God wouldn't send people to hell. That's your faith. That's what you've come to believe and that's what you trust. For other people that I've talked to, they they don't believe that the gruesome story of the atonement, Jesus dying on a cross, it's so off-putting, it's so unnecessary, it doesn't fit. I, I don't believe that. Maybe you believe that working hard living life to the fullest, enjoying the adventures of life and celebrating the relationships that you enjoy along the way and and just generally being kind and considerate and respectful of others, just doing a good thing. You think that's what life is all about. That's the sum total of what we could accomplish on this earth. That's, That's your faith. For some of you. Your faith is, well, I think all all religions are the same. All roads lead to heaven. It's just different routes that different people take. See, that's, that's your faith. That's what you've come to believe. For other people, you believe in karma or you believe in reincarnation or you believe in some curious combination of a number of principles and insights and beliefs that you've gathered from various spiritual or religious influences. That's your faith, that's what you trust to be true. 
But, but let me tell you, I'm not here to criticize your faith. I just want you to be honest to what it is that you believe, what you trust to be true. The second thing that I want you to know, everybody on earth has faith. And the second thing is this, that every person on the planet assumes the risk of the faith they choose to trust. Does that make sense? Every person, me included, we assume the risk of what we choose to trust. Are you prepared to assume the risk of what you trust to be true? You know, throughout the month of December here at Sybil Creek, we've been studying the, the topic of the kingdom of God. It's without a doubt the predominant theme that runs all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. When Jesus comes onto the scene in the gospels, the one thing that he talked the most about was the kingdom of God. And he talked about the kingdom being here. And he talked about the kingdom being near. And he talked about the kingdom being around. And he talked about the kingdom and he invited human beings to come into his kingdom. He made the invitation to everybody. But along the way, he made a few statements that some might find disturbing. You see, there were times that Jesus talked about the fact that not everybody would enter the kingdom of God. They were all invited, they were all welcome, but not everybody would choose to trust, to believe in the kingdom of God. You know, I, I, think, I think through the years we've sort of oversold heaven. We've made it sound like everybody gets to go to heaven. But when you talk about the kingdom of God, it's something much greater, much grander. And it seems like the, the, the permission or the, the invitation into it is much stricter. And like I told our church family a few weeks ago, it's not my kingdom. I, I don't get to make the rules. I don't get to establish the entrance requirement. I don't get to, get to give out backstage passes. It's, it's what it is. And so Jesus made some interesting statements about the kingdom of God. He made it very clear that not everybody will, in fact, submit to his rule in their life. Here's an interesting passage in Luke chapter 18. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, anyone, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Well, what does that mean? I think what he's saying is that unless we are somewhat humble and open like children are when the big people in their life tell them things, unless we trust what God has told us to be true, unless we allow for some things that we can't explain, that we can't prove, that we can't test, unless we allow for things like the miraculous or the supernatural, you know, like angelic messengers, and virgin birth, unless we are like children and we trust that what God has told us is true, he's saying, you can't enter the kingdom of God. On another occasion, Jesus said this, I tell you, no one, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So what does that mean? Well, I'll, I'll kind of summarize it for you. To be born again, one must recognize by faith 
that Jesus is Messiah, that he's Savior, and that he's King. That baby that we read about in the story was announced to be the Messiah, the Savior, and the King. And until somebody is willing to submit their lives to that truth and trust it by faith, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, this Christmas Eve, this one shot I get, I'm inviting you to ponder. That sometime over the next few days or weeks, to think carefully, to think seriously, to think diligently about where do I stand in my belief of these things? Because they have enormous implications. Some of you, you've been pondering the story of Jesus for years and you've come to a place of confidence to believe that the things that are said of him are true. And you're willing to take the risk for that. The truth of the matter is that some of you, you have a little bit more pondering to do. And if our church could be of any help to you in the journey of trying to think these things through and sort them out, we, we'd be honored to do that. So let me, let me give you three questions to consider. The first one is, do I acknowledge Jesus to be the Messiah sent from God? Do I really believe that Jesus is the anointed one? That's what the word Messiah means. I'm the one that was anointed by God to come to this earth on his behalf. The second question is, have I placed my trust in Jesus as savior from sin? Or am I on the performance plan trying to work this out myself? Have I come to trust that what Jesus did on the cross was for me and my sin? He's my savior. And then thirdly, do I live my life for Jesus as king? Is he my king? Have I entered into the kingdom of God that way? by recognizing Jesus to be the king of my life and am I willing to live that way? That, that's something to ponder. That's a lot to think about. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to at least consider it. So on behalf of our entire church family, I wanna wish you all a very Merry Christmas. I want to thank you for spending your Christmas Eve with us. Uh, just so that everybody's uh, in the know, uh, tomorrow, Christmas Day, we will not be hosting services here at Cibolo Creek. We want to give you the freedom and the flexibility to spend that time celebrating your uh, Christmas traditions with your family. Um, then the next Sunday is another holiday, January the 1st. We will not be hosting services here on campus, but we will be hosting services online. And we invite you to join us there online as I have a, a, a New Year's challenge that I'd like for each of you to consider. And then we'll be back here on campus for our services at 9.30 and 11 on January the 8th, 2023.